And, and um, I'm kind of excited about it. We might be in this for a while. And it's going to be on the subject of staying in love. Sex and dating is going to get in there somewhere, too. So I realize that we have a mixed crowd sometimes, but it looks like most of the kids are gone, so I'll be careful. But I'm going to talk about a few things over the next number of weeks, and I'll be very careful with the words that I use and so forth. But we're going to talk about staying in love. We're going to talk about getting in love. We're going to talk about love. It's going to be an interesting time. And uh, this is going to pertain to more than just being married. I mean, I look across the crowd, and I know an awful lot of us are married here, and there's, there's obviously going to be some single people here, too. Um, and if, it may at times feel like I'm talking just to single people. If you're married, listen, eavesdrop, because you'll probably pick up. There's probably something there for you, too. If I'm talking, it seems like just to married people and you're single, just eavesdrop, because I'm sure there's something in there for you. And uh, I want to talk to not just... Um, the, 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 I don't want to just be practical about this because we're going to get into the Word of God, but this will be very, very practical. We're going to talk about what the Word of God says about some things. And uh, so it's going to be relevant to married people who want to stay in love, to single people who want to get in love, and um, to those, too, who maybe even you've been called by the Lord to, to live a single lifestyle. It will still be relevant to you. It still will be relevant to you. So... Um, so hang on, and we'll see where this goes. I, I, I look back, and I th- remember the time that I had, we had the talk with our kids. You know which talk I'm talking about? And, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting process. Uh, <laughs> maybe if you're a parent and you have kids and you've had the talk, you don't really forget them. In fact, when you're a kid, and you're, if your parents did have the talk with you about the birds and the bees, you probably can remember some of it, but it's kind of a funny subject looking back and you're thinking, man, you know, I, I didn't want to just have the talk with my kids. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to kind of start an ongoing dialogue. We wanted to create and craft an environment where when we talk about this subject, it will be ongoing because what's relevant to tell a six-year-old is not the same thing you tell a 12-year-old. And their life changes and culture changes, and you've got to be ready to move along with them and help them know how to do that. So, so we're going to be, a, especially over the next several weeks, have a continuing dialogue on these subjects. And the reason, the reason that we're on this topic is because I want you to have great relationships. The Lord wants you to have great relationships. I think uh, I know a lot of people who um, have had failed attempts at relationships. And, and I know some people, too, who even say, I'm just done with this. I've never seen a relationship that works. They all go to a certain place. They all get to the certain point where they cave in. I just, I, I haven't, my, my parents' marriage didn't work. Mine didn't work. The relationship, I, I know a lot of people that look at that and they say, I'm just, I'm not interested. But, but, I want to cast a vision for something that I think our culture does a very poor job of casting a vision for if they cast any vision for it at all. So I, I want you to know first and foremost about culture. You don't have to buy into what that culture tells us about relationship. You know, as a pastor, I get a lot of people that walk up to me and, and, or, in one, or they make an appointment and they come and they say, hey, I want to talk to you about this and they spill their guts. You know, they start talking about what's going on and, and um, that's an appropriate thing. I mean, we talk things through. But sometimes, frankly, I'm amazed by the things that I hear. I think, wait a minute. Didn't your mother tell you about that? I mean, didn't you, didn't you see this coming? It's like you'll see someone who will um, be serious about a guy for a while and his, 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 his apartment always looks like a bomb went off, right? 
The backseat of the car looks like a bomb went off there. So when she marries him, she can't understand why it looks like in the house like a bomb went off. And I'm saying, well, wait a second. You knew this. You saw this. You picked this, right? I mean, common sense sometimes isn't so common as you think it is. You think, you know, and dating today can become very extraordinarily complicated. It can be really, really complicated. Um, so who is this for? This will be for anybody who's dating. Even if you haven't had a date in a really long time, if someone, there's a potential that you ever will, this will be about, this will be for you. It'll be for couples who are thinking about getting married, couples who are considering those kinds of issues, and uh, you know, someone who maybe wants to find a relationship where they say, as long as we both shall live. It could be for um, couples who, um, uh, or any parent where you want to guide your kids. I mean, it can be, this is going to be all over the map. So who's going to be frustrated by what I'm going to talk about? Well, if you're a sports dater, what's a sports dater? A recreational dater, a serial dater. Um, you're the person who's just in it for, <laughs> I don't know what's the correct label here. The person who's just in it for the fun, who's just in it for what they can harvest for themselves, um, and as soon as they get involved with someone who wants to sit down and kind of define the relationship, that mark, marks the end of it. As soon as you want definition, that's the end of it. Um, this is going to frustrate that person. But I want to say even to someone who might fall into that category who's maybe listening, maybe by, by recording or um, someone has grabbed the CD and said, hey, you've got to hear this, um, keep listening. Because off somewhere in the future when... That changes when that, when that person changes their mind and their heart. This is going to be really helpful information to them. The reason, there's reasons for that. Uh, I want to say one more thing to that person that falls into that category. You're present. The things that you're involved in today, you know, the partying and the wahoo and all that will someday in the future become your past. The stuff that's going on in your life today will become your past. And your past will show up in your future. There's just this pesky, irritating, won't-go-away truth about our past. It's kind of like a gnat. It, it, it does not go away, and it shows up, and it affects our future in many ways. Married people understand this. They, they, um, they thought that once they got married, it'd be kind of like cleaning, the, you know, cleaning everything up and starting with a clean sheet of paper and whatever were the issues before marriage, I just get to show up and, and, and start with a clean sheet of paper. But they show up and their past went right with them into the marriage. And so, you know, the present, which will become your past, will show up in your future. And so what you're doing today will follow you around. It will just show up, and I want you to know that. As a pastor, it's not very often that I really talk to people about marriage problems. What I've discovered is that people with problems get married. <laughs> Right? That's what I did. I mean, people with problems get married. <laughs> marriage doesn't cause any problems, but it exposes them. It just happens to expose them some. So it's pretty rare that a marriage problem, you know, you know a marriage problem, you know, I, I don't want to minimize marriage difficulties, but, you know, marriage problems where two people can't agree whether the role comes over the front or over the bottom or, you know, the seat needs to be left up or down, which we all know it's left down. <laughs> just in case there's any question. Let's just settle that, okay? The seat goes down and stays down. I'm well-trained on that matter. <laughs> okay, my okay now for the cupcake story that I've 
never mind. Okay. So what I find is that two single people bring their, whatever their issues or problems were, they bring it into the marriage. And listen, by the way, that's normal. That's natural. No one has been finally finished and shaped by God's hands and then launched into marriage. In fact, I don't think any of you have been finished by the Lord yet. Some of you are getting pretty close. You know, <laughs> but um, so the fact that people have problems and they bring it with them wherever they go, that's, 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 that's who we are, imperfect human beings. So I don't want anybody here feeling, you know, condemned by any of this. I'm just being transparent about, about these issues. So when they discover these problems and they show up and they come with them into their marriage, that's why what you're doing now really matters because it's going to turn into your future. And there's a very significant reason why people run into trouble when, they're, when they take their marriages with them into the problem. It's very, very common. And I wanna, that's the subject for today. And it's what I'm going to call the right person myth. And here's what the myth is. If I marry the right person, everything will be all right. <laughs> Sounds good. It's a great formula. It works for Disney. It, it's a wonderful. So you're looking for the right person. You see the right person, the right person sees you, and the two of you get together, and it's, ah, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be good. How do we know that the person we've met is the right person? The answer is, we think it's chemistry. It's chemistry. We talk for hours. We agree with everything. We sit in the restaurant, and we just stare at each other. <laughs> I can't keep my mind off him. I can't keep my mind off her. It's, it's, it's just chemistry. So they get together and they, they think about this and they start thinking like this. This is what's going on out there right now. They start thinking, well, you'd never buy a car without test driving it or you'd never buy a pair of shoes without trying them on. So they get the whole intimacy thing going on and the whole sexual thing starts to, to seep into their deal. And they're excited and everything seems to be working together and it's great chemistry and they're so excited. All these good things are going on. Chemistry feel, feels great because I've met the right person. Everything's going to be all right. They believed, now nobody will admit this now, they believed at the time that nobody has ever loved like this. Not my mama, not my grandma, not on TV, not in the movies. Nobody, nobody has loved like this. Now, I'm, it sounds so cynical. Would you forgive me for that? But I mean, that's really, you know what I'm talking about. I can see, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so they feel all of this. They feel like it's unique. They feel all this love. And so what they do is they launch and they say, okay, we're right for each other because of all this chemistry. Let's get married. The problem is they have all this chemistry going on, but they didn't know anything about relationship. They didn't do anything about relationship. They're thinking, I don't have to be good at relationship. She is. That's why she's right for me. Or they think, I, I don't have to be patient. She's never going to test my patience. <laughs> I don't need to. She's right for me. We have all this chemistry. So they get together, they get married, and then they got these problems. Guess what kind of problems that they have? Not chemistry. They don't have chemistry problems. They've got relationship problems because they just didn't do anything before, before to prepare themselves for the relationship part of this deal. They just did the part that came. They thought that love and passion would be enough. And what starts to suffer is a relationship. So what was this 
passionate, vibrant, even sexual, exciting relationship goes on, starts to become, starts to feel the wear and tear of the relational, relational kinds of friction that starts to build up. And the guy gets really think, confused as he's thinking about all this because, you know, he thinks that the sex is the, relation, is, the, is the solution to most things. It's like a wrench. He says, hey, we can fix this, you know. And the girl says, no, that's not how it works, you know, and... So there's this tension and confusion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's this tension and confusion, and um, the very thing that made them certain that they were right for each other starts to suffer now because relationally, it's taking its toll even on the chemistry because they thought the myth. If I meet the right person, everything's going to be all right. So then tears typically or, or commonly what will happen, one of them will come up with a bright idea. This particular bright idea many times comes from the woman. She's thinking, well, I know what will bring us closer together. A baby. <laughs> a baby. Great idea. Okay, two dysfunctional relationship. Let's fix it by adding a child. There's no stress involved with that. And the guy's thinking, the guy's thinking, a baby. Hmm. That'll take sex. Great idea. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, and here we go. Okay, so we can stand here today and go, wow, how stupid is that? Who would think that way? But believe me, people think that way. People go down that process. It's not quite that shortcut. But where your passions and where your heart gets involved, where objectivity can slip away, where there's pain involved, you start thinking less objectively. And you get off on these funny, funny processes. So they say, okay, we're going to... F- Fix our marriage by having a baby. Now, let me um, s- slip in a statistical I- issue for you here. Now, I, I got this statistic, and it's hard to get hard science on this, um, but when is the t- when, at what kinds of times and seasons and uh, is a man most vulnerable to become in, 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 for infidelity in a marriage? I don't, I don't know what they are, but I know right in the top two or three, is when his wife, football season. <laughs> okay, that wasn't what I came up with. Uh, <laughs> but one of them, one of those seasons is when, a, when his wife is pregnant or has just had a baby. I know you're thinking scum, you know? But statistically, that's when a lot of affairs happen, statistically. So now passion is missing. The baby is crying and demanding. We don't get our sleep. Intimacy is slipping away. For understandable, practical reasons, that's going on. And he's at work, and he's a little cranky and so forth, and he looks up at his office, and here comes this woman he works with, and she looks pretty good. And you think, oh, the right woman. There she is because chemistry starts to stir. You're following me here, because this, this, this goes on. Or, or there's a feminine counterpart to this, and, and a woman will see she's frustrated in her relationship, stuff going on in the marriage, it's kind of drying up somehow, and she sees the guy that she went to the prom with. Oh, this one got away from me. He's the right one. I married the wrong person. So here's another little statistical truth for you. Second marriages tend to have a higher failure rate than their first marriages, just a statistical accuracy. Why? 
Why is that? I don't know. There's probably lots of reasons. One of them, I think, is that people have a tendency to follow the same patterns. So what they did before that didn't all work out, they just go down that same pathway. So many times, the, the scenarios I've described to you are so common, then the next thing they do is they enter into another marriage, and they, do, they go through similar processes because they haven't learned relational skills. So here's the good news. It doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> oh, good, huh? Because I know many of you are happily married, and I'm not suggesting that this isn't true because I think, I think that this cross-section is probably a, a pretty remarkable, healthy cross-section. But I also know that sitting in this room, and I, I, I can't identify by name, but sitting in this room are some of these issues that the Holy Spirit would want to, to deal, deal with. And sitting in this room are people who are extremely healthy, who will have their hands and their fingers on the necks of people they love and they care about, who are going through these things, and you will bring with you hope. You will bring with you something of loving, counseling, guiding temperance that will, will help those circumstances. So the good news is it doesn't have to be this way. There's a way better future. Now, our culture doesn't really celebrate great marriages and great relationships. It's not that they're against them. The culture isn't against those things, but they don't celebrate them. I mean, here's what I mean by that. It, 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 a great marriage gets no airplay. I mean, who wants to see a TV show about a happily married couple? You can probably think back and find one or two. The Dick Van Dyke show. Or, you know, I mean, you can probably think back of some, but, but who wants to watch them? Why don't they want to watch They're boring. Okay, <laughs> it's like they're not as exciting as all of the problem shows, the shows that show up all of the conflict and all the surprise and all of the intrigue and all of the betrayal. That's way more interesting to watch how people deal with those problems. So, so healthy marriages on TV, they just don't get any airplay. They're just boring. It's just not that entertaining. So what gets all this other airplay is uh, an alternative viewpoint about what relationship life is like. And so people think that's their pattern. They think what they see on TV is the pattern for how relationships should be played out. You know, and now you're smart people, and you all scratch your head and say, well, I, you know, I would never fall for that. The problem is that the pattern that's there is what pattern most people follow when they get into the dating routine. It just really is. So... Um, there's a much better way, and um, uh, it's it, it a much better way. So as we begin this series, I want to give you a big idea, a big idea that you need to get your head and your hearts wrapped right around, and here's what it is. Instead of finding the right person, are you becoming the right person? That's really the concept that's going to set your feet on the pathway you need to be on. It's not just a cute little phrase. It's the backbone of the whole place that we're going to go. Are you becoming the right person? Now, this is the, th- the, the secret that nobody told you about. This is, this is the secret that you didn't realize that as you were looking for the right person, that the quest really should have been about you being or becoming the right person on your own. Um, you know, so, so you know, ask, I, I have a question or a concept to ask you. If you, um, if you are dating and um, you find a girl that you think is perfect, I mean, she's got the whole thing going on. She's, she's got looks and she's got intelligence. She's got a right heart and she's got a great attitude and personality and all those kinds of things. She walks with the Lord. She's godly. She's Proverbs 31, right? 
and you look at her and you think, wow, this is the woman for me. Ask yourself the question. Do you think that her heavenly father considers her precious? The answer is yes, right? Okay, so the answer is yes. So why would her heavenly father pick you to trust her to, or vice versa, okay? So you have to ask yourself the question, what would make me be the one that God would say, okay, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to trust you with this precious daughter of mine or this precious son of mine that I've spent all this time shaping and loving on and so forth. This, this concept about becoming the right person, you know, is not just for single people. It's really even more for married people, already married people. The idea of becoming the right person for your spouse is something that we kind of shift into neutral. We can shift into neutral, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We should continue to be, I want to be the right man for you. Better tomorrow than I am today. I mean, that's down in me, and sometimes I'm good, and sometimes I know. But what the question is, what are you doing to become the right person? And, and if you actually finish, let me know, because I'd love to hear how that worked out for you. But... Um, you know, I heard this story, and it's a heartbreaking story, about this, um, about this woman, her daughter, Christian girl, um, and uh, it's, it's this, this is a story about a, just a savagely difficult but truthful conversation that the two of them had. She, she grew up in a, um, in, a, in a God-fearing home. They raised her, you know, to, to love the Lord, and they raised her, and raised up a child in the way he should go, you know, they did all that. And as she got to the point of young adulthood and uh, finished with school and then decided, you know, she was immersed in the singles life. And uh, she just decided for this season of her life that although she believed all that stuff, she was just going to kind of not consider it for a while. She was just going to go ahead and go out there and, and live life a little bit and, um, and see where that took her. And uh, so she was whistling along her merry way and, and at some event she she runs into this guy, meets this man, and he's caught her eye. He's, he's, he's handsome, and he's, in, he's, he's, um, he's got a good career path that he's on. He's friendly. He's likable. He's a Christian. He's, he's, he's overtly wanting to live the principles of Christ that are in his soul, in his relationships, in his business dealings. He's overt about it. He's the total package. She sees this guy and thinks, wow, this is the guy. She goes home and she talks to her mother. And she's telling her mother all about this. And she's thinking, you know, I don't know how to break the ice with this guy and start relationship. And her mother looks at her. And she says this difficult thing to her daughter. The problem is that a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. Wow. And then this, this daughter knew it was true, dropped to the floor, sobbing and crying, brokenhearted about the choices that past that was creeping up and following her and keeping with her. It broke her heart. But there was something else that happened in those moments. There was something there of heart-shaping and loving encouragement from God that said, you know what? You don't have to stay there. You do not have to stay there. And, you know, she, this girl, made a decision. I've, I've got to live the values that are important to me. 
I've got to become the woman he's looking for or I'll never find him. I'll never find him. So this is kind of a convoluted question. But here's the question for you. Are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? Are you who the person you married is looking for? Are you becoming, are you intentional, are you being proactive um, so that you can become? You know, when you open up the pages of Scripture, there's not a whole lot in here of help on the subject of how to find the right person. There's not really a lot. But when you open this up and you look through the lens of how do you become the right person, this thing lights up like a searchlight. It radiates out of here how to become the person. And, you know, this whole issue about relationships and getting it right, you know, this is part of who we are because the Lord created relationships. God is the creator of relationships. This is natural. You know, it's natural for you to want to hear the truth from someone, to look at you and say, I love you like crazy. It's natural to want to hear someone say, you know what? When you walk into the room, my life changes. You're everything to me. That's natural to want to hear that. It's, it's natural. It's not very masculine. But it's true. It's natural, guys, isn't it, that we want to hear, especially our women, say, you know what? I really respect you. You're a great father. You're a good leader. I trust you. You're a great covering. It's natural to want to hear those kinds of things. And that, that wanting to hear, I really believe that's the thumbprint of God on your souls. You were hardwired this way. You got no choice in the matter. You really don't. We, we start out of the, the womb that way and we will go out that way. So, just all you need to do is make yourself into the one that that person's looking for. You got the problem solved, right? Sounds easy. So how do you become that person? I'm just going to touch on a few things this morning. And we'll take, uh, we're going we're gonna to launch into this over time. Um, but so today I wanted to start out with this question and, and dive right into the myth of the right person because I got lots more to talk about in the, in the coming weeks. But I want to start out in, a, in one of the most obvious chapters, um, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And so here's, here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us about what love is. You know, I want to know what love is. You know that song? I, never okay. Um, so I'm going to go over just a few of them today because I know that you're smart enough to take it from here. So I'm just going to go over a few of these today and to get this started. So let's just crack open 1 Corinthians 13 and start at verse 4 and see what's, see what's in there. The love chapter. I love this. Okay, verse number 4. Love is patient. Love is patient. That means that love never, ever pressures. Never, ever puts pressure. Never, ever, ever is patient means you never, ever put pressure. That means you give the person as much time and space and margin as they need. You, you, you have phrases, you, you drop all the phrases like, why don't you, why can't you, all that kind of stuff. You know, if you're saying those things to, to your, your, the person you love, your spouse or the person you're dating, then you're not patient you find yourself pushing all the time, then maybe you're not loving them. Now, these kinds of virtues don't just suddenly appear. They come from practice. So you have to choose not to do that. Uh, love is kind. Here's, here's another translation for love is kind, for the word kind. Another 
translation, an accurate one is considerate. Do you take into consideration how this other pe- person feels all the time? Do you do that always, all the time? Are you considerate? Are you kind? Now, I'm not suggesting that you wait till you get all starry-eyed, you know, because, oh, it's the right person. I'm not suggesting you wait then. I'm suggesting you put this into practice, not just with the one, but with everyone. You put this into practice with everyone. I'm trying to. But if you can do that, and it becomes your nature, and it becomes your habit, and it becomes your personality, I promise you, when you run into that person, you will be the most kind, considerate person on the planet Earth. That's your goal, is to try to become that. And it just isn't going to happen naturally. It's just not going to happen that way. When the couple that we talked about before, and they got into all their, you know, the trajectory they were on, and all that kind of stuff, they were expecting these things to happen naturally, and it didn't. They got married both expecting the same thing, that everything that they lacked, the other person would already have. And that may be true somewhere down the road. It doesn't start out that way. So Paul motivates, motivates us to become something. Um, keep, let's keep going. It does not envy. Some of your parents split up over this issue. Here's, here's how you see um, envy played out. I don't feel good about me. So I'm not going to let you feel good about you. So what I'm going to do is to drag you down and down and down and down all the time. Um, you know, so what, here, here's what you do to not do the envy thing. Here's an example. So, so your, your, your spouse or your friend is telling a story. They're telling about this, this, uh, this uh, great, wonderful, wild mountain blackberry pie that they've baked up ready to take to the picnic at the Tanana Quarry at noon next Saturday. <laughs> the little berries, mind you. The, the mountain. And, and so they're telling all about this story. What you don't do, by the way, do you know we have a pie expert sitting in this room? <laughs> it's true. That wasn't manipulative. It was a compliment, Marsha. No, you don't have to do anything, um, Marsha. No, I, you know, Marsha brought some pies to one of the women's Bible studies one night, and I happened to be studying, and they had pity on me, and they sent some food over, and it included pie. Oh, it was really, really good. Anyway, so you, you're telling the story about this pie that you're bringing to the picnic. You don't need to wait till they finish and then top it by telling them how you're being interviewed for your own show on the Food Network, right? You don't have to top the stories, Listening to someone share something of joy, let them share it, participate in their joy, and just stop there. That's an example of not envying. It's an example of being the opposite. You know, sometimes people, um, they try to medicate their envy by what I described to you, and it just destroys the intimacy. It just destro- destroys the intimacy, um, you know, and we go thinking, well, if I just met the right person, these issues would never appear. Okay, next one. It does not boast, is not proud. You know, I realize that I'm describing all these things, and if you're wanting to date and you're thinking, oh, I've got to do all these things, this could be like the worst date of my life. I mean, it's like milk toast. It's like a bad day in church, okay? Why do I have to date like this and actually treat this person this way? Well, here's, you know, here's the alternative. Here's another way to think. Do you think that if, as you grew up, your family might have had a little bit more peace and a little bit more joy and a little happier if your parents, maybe they even would have stayed together if they'd been just a little bit more patient with each other. If your father had been maybe a little more considerate of your mother. If, 
you know, for, because for some of you, your, your dad had so much pride, he could never admit he was wrong. For some of you, same thing, your mother had so much pride, she could never admit she was wrong. What if some of these things had been at work in that relationship? Could things have been different? And I want to say yes. Why didn't they have it? Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they learn it? I don't know. But you and I have the opportunity to get this right. I mean, we really do. We really do. I think for us, our responsibility is just to step up to God and say, Lord, I realize that I need to learn how to love and then learn how to do these things. And I really want to become the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. Hard truth is that some of us have missed this for so long because we've been thinking the, the, the myth of the right person. We've ignored it that um, we've kind of maybe some of us given up on the dream of a great relationship, and I want you to s- just stop giving up on that dream. I want you to stop that because the great relationship is there for you. It's there for you. Did you hear that? It's there for you. I've seen some circumstances that, that would be completely, you'd judge them to be completely over. The hope is gone. And I've watched the Lord get in there with his little itty-bitty pinky and just kind of start something and then watch hearts change. But it starts with one of the kids saying to the king, you know what, <laughs> do some surgery right here. Do some things in this heart. Help me to become a man who knows how to love his wife. Help me become part of the solution here, God. Okay, here's another one that's in this passage, verse 5. And this is a juicy one. It does not dishonor others. That, that means you never, ever, ever re- create regret. You know, you don't want to ever become part of somebody's regret story. Oh, I wish I would have never picked up the phone. I wish I would never would have gone out with that guy. Um, you know, you don't want to become somebody's somebody's regret story. The words that are used in this passage could also mean um, does not behave dishonorably, disgracefully, or indecently. Now, for some people, the whole dating, the whole goal of dating is exactly that. Their intentions are dishonorable, disgraceful, and indecent. And, and if, if, I'm, if these words are falling on the ears of anybody who that's true about, no, although nobody would admit that in church, um, couple of things I want to say to you. I, I care about you and I love you. I don't judge you. Stay away from my daughter. She's married. Stay away from every woman in this church. And I mean that. <laughs> um, but here's, here's what I want to say to you about transparently addressing that if it's true about you. What's serving you well while you're living the life it's going to destroy what you value most later. It really will. I've seen it over and over again, and I've seen it up close personally and so forth. I mean, this isn't just true about dating. This is also true about people who write off important relationships at one stage in their life only to find out a decade or decades later they <coughs> wish they wouldn't have done that. I- I've seen it. I'm watching it happening. I'm watching it happen and play out in the lives of people I love and care about today. And I watched them plant the seeds for that decades ago. Okay, next one is love is not self-seeking. You know, the question about all these things in, in this passage is, does any of it come naturally? And the answer is no. You know, what does come naturally is chemistry. 
the passion. That's the part that, that we're pre-wired for. And, um, you know, the thing about this, chemistry is great. Not, okay, don't, don't get me wrong. Chemistry is wonderful. We got it. We like it. Chemistry is good. But here's the thing about chemistry. You have the capacity to have chemistry with thousands of people. I mean, some people fall in love with people they've never met before. Come on, be honest. You watch some TV show, and you swoon over somebody, and you can hardly wait to see them again next week because they're so wonderful. I mean, there's chemistry. Now, that may not be reciprocated, but you got chemistry going, <laughs> right? You got chemistry going. You have the capacity to see someone at a weekend meeting somewhere. You'll never see them the rest of your life and feel chemistry. It's, we, got, we have the capacity for chemistry. It's in us. We don't have to work at it. It doesn't take any work to uh, let chemistry go on. And that's the, the problem. All this other stuff just doesn't magically appear. That's the fairy tale. It drives people into relationships that just don't work out long term. But you can do this. You can become someone who's worth catching, someone worth pursuing. Okay, so this uh, passage of Scripture, I'm going to jump to the end, and, um, and I'll tell you why in a minute or two, but I'm going to jump down to verse 11 and read this passage. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. It's an interesting way for Paul to end this discussion about love, telling all these things that are love, and then he says, when I was a child, I acted and I thought and I walked and I talked like a child. My reasonings were like a child. But then he says, when I became a man, or you can substitute the word adult, I put childish ways behind me. How does every childhood story end? I watched Aladdin this last week, the cartoon. Happily ever after. That's how it happens. And um, we just sat around and watched it. And there are so many fairy tales that that's how it works. We just think that if we get the two people together in the end, if the prince can just slay the dragon or the ugly stepmother or the grand vizier Jafar or whoever it happens to be and you can just get them together everything's going to work out all right because that's how it works in a child, children's stories children's stories you just get them together that's the solution and when I was a child I thought like a child I walked like a child and I talked like a child and I read child stories but now I'm a man I'm an adult and I'm growing up and I have to put aside the childish thinking. There's nothing wrong with a fairy tale wedding. Nothing wrong with a, with a prince and a princess getting married in front of four billion people on TV. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But I promise you, if that couple doesn't work on relationship, it will become the next British royalty scandal. Because getting them together is not the end. It's just the beginning. So this isn't about magically finding the right person. Although that makes great TVs and novels. This is about us becoming the person that the person we're looking for is looking for. So today, um, as you go out, I'm gonna, um, we have a handout for you. It says, staying in love on one side and 1 Corinthians 13 on the other side. Okay? The scriptures that we've been reading, most of the, there's some, some, a little bit more here. But I'm going to give this to you, and here's what I'm asking of you. Everybody gets one. Not every couple 
every person. There's one for every person. Please take it with you. Please take it with you. Stick it someplace where you can read it. And I'm going to ask you to read this and to start absorbing this. In fact, go a little further. Even memorize this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. I'm on the way, okay? So memorize this. Read this and let this somehow seep into you. As you learn and absorb this, not only are you going to become the person that that other person is looking for, but something else is going to happen to you. If you are still dating, or if you will ever date, as this gets absorbed into you and becomes part of your fabric, when you see someone who does not think this way, you will have a force field. There will be this repulsion in you. You, you can still keep them in your circle of friends, but they stay in a certain range of circles, not right here, friends. And they need to not be in this inner circle of one kind of friendship. You'll, you, you will set for yourself something different, and God will honor that in you. I promise God will honor that in you. Next week, um, I want to pray with you, but next week, we're going to attack the Juno Dilemma. Can people really stay in love forever? If you saw the movie Juno, um, which um, I'm not uh, promoting the movie, but if you did, you'll find out that was a great question that came up in that movie. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the amazing love you have for us. Really believe, God, that in those profound moments during worship today that there was something of hope that visited this place and that, Lord, it continues. Not knowing why and who and how you take your word and you weave it into hearts. Lord, I pray over these issues of love and staying in love and the myth of the right person. God, and I, and I thank you for helping us to understand why you challenge us with love the way you do in your word. As we open this subject up over the next number of weeks, I pray, God, that something of relief and uh, release and life would be ours on the topic of love. Lord, for any soul here who this has touched upon a heartbreaking this has been heartbreaking for them. I ask God for you just to uh, mend and to just relieve and to bring life and bring hope there. I pray, Lord, that what we will be known for here is that we've learned to love the way you teach us, that you would teach us. And thank you for that in Jesus' name.